Welcome to Let's Chat, a platform for discussions around antiretroviral therapies. Today, we are discussing tenofovir alafenamide, or TAF, and its real-world application and best practice within the South African healthcare market. This podcast is brought to you by Activa Health in the interest of education, awareness and support. The content and opinions expressed are entirely those of the healthcare professionals and are not influenced by Activa Health in any way. These TAF podcasts are SOMA accredited. To access the CPD questionnaire, healthcare practitioners can click on the link in the show notes. Today, we chat to Drs. Leon Levine and Edu Hiefer about the use of TAF in children. Dr. Leon is a pediatrician who has been treating HIV-infected infants, children and adolescents for the past 25 years. From 2013 to 2018, he was head of pediatric HIV programs and is currently senior technical advisor in pediatrics at the Right to Care NGO. Dr. Eric is practicing as a general practitioner with special interest in treatment of HIV and occupational health. His expertise has expanded to include comorbidities, fertility, diabetes and oncology. Dr. Eric is practicing as a general practitioner with special interest in the treatment of HIV and occupational health. His expertise has expanded to include comorbidities, fertility, diabetes and oncology. Drs. Leon and Eric, thank you for your time. Let's chat. I've been keeping track of patients that need TAF. My list is sitting at 159 <laughs> patients at the moment who need TAF. Yeah. That's how uh, we know you. So yeah, so it's, it's something that I've been really been looking forward for and trying to push people to get it going. And it's really fantastic that we're finally going to get this this molecule. So you've been holding them in like a, in a holding pattern with currently using well, the back of it? not necessarily or? whatever they've been on, yeah. you know what I'm saying, or we'll find another thing, but say, look, the ideal regimen would be TAF. Okay. So some of them are, are okay and I don't know where they're fine where they are. Some of them I'm a bit worried that I'm using, for example, tenofovir in a child that shouldn't be using tenofovir or, sure. you know, the same, and I'd like to switch to TAF as soon as possible. So none of them are, are being neglected. They're all being treated properly, but it's out there saying the best reason for this patient is TAF. Okay. And, and what kind of age range are you, um, do you think is, would, would, would take up that 160 kids of yours? That's all ages, um, but from 25 kilos. So, okay. yeah, yeah. See, the thing, the thing about, about, as you know, it's an off of a, at this point in time, we only use from 35 kilos in 10 years. In our new guidelines, it's going to be 30 kilos in 10 years. But you can have patients who are under 30 kilos, sort of between 25 and 30, who would benefit from being on TLD, but they, they're too young or they're too small. And this, that for me as a pediatrician, that's the, the main attraction of this. There's obviously other attractions for sure, and I'm sure you guys are going to discuss it in detail. But for me, the, the main attraction is that, is that we can use it in kids under 30 kilos who would ordinarily, who would love to put onto TLD, but just can't because, because we've got, we're not allowed to, to use it yet. And the problem is if a patient is failing in a back of a 3TC, say, lopinavir regimen, okay, and all we have is a back of a 3TC to give them, you know, it's not great. AZT 3TC is twice daily. I don't like to use it. It's a horrible drug. So what do you do in that situation? So the ideal would be, I say, to go to Tenofovir, but we can't use Tenofovir because they're, they're under 30 kilos. So that most of those patients are, are in that situation where they, they are under 30 kilos and 
I really want to go into TLD. And we just don't have, we're not able to give it to them at this point in time. There's another advantage to using it is the size of the pill. Okay, because we take your standard TLD at the moment. It's 300 milligrams of tenofovir, of TDF, 300 milligrams of, of mm. lamivudine, and 50 milligrams of, of dolutegravir. That's 650. Okay, whereas TAFED, which is I think the one most people are going to use because it's cheaper, but it's also smaller, is going to be 25 milligrams of, of um, TAF, you know, 200 milligrams of, of intracytabine and 50 milligrams. So it's going to be 275. So it's a much smaller tablet. And the kids overseas love it. I've done any patients on myself, but speaking to colleagues, colleagues overseas, they love it. It's a tiny tablet and one tablet a day. So a major advantage from that point of view. Okay. That sounds very exciting. I haven't, uh, we're not always faced with that, but yeah. uh, if, if uh, you know, your patients all swallow rugby balls, but my <laughs> patients are more particular. <laughs> And can you crush the tablet? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky one. So TLD can be crushed. Okay, TAF. There, there is there are cases in the literature where they've crushed it. For example, uh, patients who are normal mouth with NG tube and with maintaining viral suppression, but the taste is not the greatest. So it's probably going to be a situation where it'll have to be kids over twenty five kilos who can swallow the whole tablet. But the fact that it's a small tablet, hopefully, you know, that will won't be a big problem. Twenty five kilos is really quite a big uh, child anyway. I guess it's leap years ahead of the abacavus syrup that you made us taste. You should try the Kalitra, it's even worse. <laughs> okay. So, so you should you should try the Lapinabratonova, it's uh, even worse. You see a, a, a great improvement in the in the acceptance by by your patients and the caregivers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just by the physical sizes and then… And the fact that uh, you can use it yeah. in kids, you know, less than, than 30 kilos, so up to, down to 25 kilos. Yeah. You talking kilos, we, we'd like to have some age idea. You know. <laughs> so age is an interesting one because, you know, if you look at, if you look at the package insert, of course, every drug the package insert says don't use in children under 18. Yeah. Okay, why? Because it costs more money to register it for younger children. I don't know if that's the true reason. That's the reason I was told. But it's a lot more effort to register it. And so you've, every single one of the drugs mm. says 18 years. So we have to base it on, on data that we have studies, um, usage overseas. So where do we get that we can use this from 25 kilos? So, um, overseas, there's the combination of TAF, intracytabine, and big tegravir. Right, which was registered from, initially was registered from six years and 25 kilos. They've subsequently registered one with a smaller tablet from 14 kilos. And it seems they've dropped the age. This, the first one is from 14 to 24.9. And then this one is from, from 25 upwards. And they've taken away the six years. So the studies were done from six years. Um, and it's, you know, it, we, used to talk about six years, but it seems now if you speak to people overseas, it's just 25 kilos, you can go on to TAF. So the weight is the, the, the thing that The weight that becomes the, the, the issue now. It's, it's, uh, so what we as GPs, as soon as the kid's 18, then their tonsils can come out. 18 kilos is good enough for the anesthetist. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> so, so it's also not the age, it is actually the, the, the child. And um, but, So you... You would probably get a, a, a nice accelerated weight gain on um, getting somebody onto treatment and then be able to to put them onto a, a safer, long-term combination, like a TAF container. Look, I, I think at this point in time, most people are saying to use it only until they can qualify for going onto TDF. 
And the only reason for that is is that some people are worried about the weight gain. Um, it's not no, necessarily. It's, it's not the same as what we what we saw with the protests and the impetus of the uh, Pudgy kids. Um, well, with the, with the yeah, look, you don't see it that often. I mean, look, you, I'm sure you've seen the results from the advanced trial and how patients on, on the dolutegravir and, and TAF did have the, the greatest weight gain. And it's not certain that it's actually the drugs causing it. It's, it's maybe the absence of tenofovir, TDF, and the absence of efavirenz, which is mm. allowing them to you know, get to the weight that they probably would have been in. So it's not so certain what causes the weight gain. But certainly in adults, there, there is that worry. And speaking to colleagues overseas, they say they do see it, but not it's occasion. It's not every mm. single child has, has a massive weight gain. And it's uh, it's it's um, I recall from the advanced trial that the, the lipodystrophy is not as bad as what we used to see with the protest. Right. So it's not that the the child gets uh, it's healthy stigmatized. Fat. It's healthy fat. It's not you know the the lipodystrophy is fat deposited in unusual places. Where oh. this is not. This is healthy, so called in inverted brackets, healthy fat. You know they're just gaining weight normally. Okay, so we're protecting the child from the odd-looking and being singled out at school. Exactly, they're not going to have buffalo humps and that kind of stuff. It's just just fat gain or weight gain like anybody anybody else who who, who has a healthy appetite, yeah. But the child should be growing and gaining weight. It's just how rapidly they're catching up on their growth. If it's just catch up, that's fine. But but if it's excessive, then it would be a worry. But it's not every child that has that, that situation. Is there any problems with it being taken with combinations of, of other medications uh, occasionally when the TB issue is there? But you've got sprinkles of other things and you've got dissolvables and all kinds of other formulations, but it's again linked to a meal, um, whereas, this, whereas this is not. Uh, first is it, um, it's, uh, the, the, the fixed dose combination going to give you any advantages or restrictions on, on food intake and whereas if the current uh, formulations you've got a smorgasbord of formulations with yeah. sprinkles and uh, 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 syrups so but they obviously all then link to a palatable meal and right. preparation time yeah look first of all these are usually older kids of 25 kilos mm. so it's you've got a bit more flexibility with them but the fact that you can take it with or without food is, is is a big advantage and you know these kind of kids won't be on sprinkles and that kind of stuff most of them will be very unhappy with with pediatric formulations they hate the syrups they want a tablet and they want a small tablet so this is going to fulfill that you know very much now that you've mentioned uh, the, the cost of, of medications, I, for example, I think the, the prohibitive cost of doing any research of uh, a drug taken during pregnancy is probably one of the reasons why nobody does any research in, in pediatrics because of the uh, legal exposure. Yeah, I think it's changing. I think people are realizing that children are out there, and, and although the market is much smaller, they're very, very important, and children grow up to be adults, and now children are living normal lives like everybody else now. So I think there is research being done in children. It's just delayed. It's always never at the same time as, as the studies done in adults. There's always a, a gap. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Even if you, if you look at the, the pediatric dolutegra, for example, right? Okay. We've had in this country since, I think, 2016, and GOH 
It's been 29, end of 2019 we've had it. We still don't have the pediatric one. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's just delayed. Things are much better than they were in the old days when we had just half tablets because it was really nothing. You remember those I remember days? the Videx crashing oh, and syringe oh, <laughs> But yeah, so, so those days are gone. We are very fortunate to have fantastic pediatric formulations, but it's always a delay bringing them to, and, it's, and, and it, you know, they go down, they'll test to, down to 18, then 18 down to 12, then 12 down to 6, and 6 down to 3, and then, but, you know, time to get the babies, it's, you know, can be 5, 10 years down, down the line. But that's just pediatrics. Well, fortunately, we've got the availability in adults and, and peds now at the same time with, with mm, this. No, this is a really great then, uh, how do you anticipate any problems in motivating um, a switch in treatment to a funder? So it's it's interesting. So if you look at the price, I mean, it is a little bit pricier than TLD, and in a way, I can understand that. I mean, it's TLD. The, the scale of TLD today is is, is massive. You know what I'm saying? So. So it is going to be a lot cheaper to produce TLD than it is to produce TAFED. Um, so I can understand that it's, it's, it's going to be more expensive and it is a bit of an issue drug. And I think you'll have probably a bigger problem convincing the medical aids than me because what are my patients coming from? A back of a 3TC, efavirenz, lopinavir, or dolutegravir, right? Which is a back of a 3TC combination is quite pricey. So it's actually going to work out cheaper to change to TAFED than it is to stay on the existing thing. So from in that niche group, the, the, the pediatric patients, I can't see that there's, there's going to be a problem. In fact, one of the medical aides said to me, please send me, send, send the list. I sent the list. I said, no, what's happening? They said, oh, we almost finished it, getting those patients onto it. So there's been no argument and they were happy from a financial point of view that it was cheaper. But if, if you've got another patient who is now, on TLD already, and you want to convince them to pay extra for that patient, I think that's where you guys are going to have to do a lot more explaining than what I've had to do. It's very encouraging to hear that you've got funders that uh, are actually looking at the long-term, not just the short-term gain, yeah. but obviously the long-term. Well, for them it is short-term gain because it's cheaper. Cheaper. So it's already, yeah, yeah. But the long-term game is where, where, where yeah. the adult guys have to yeah. when, argue when, well. When, when you've passed them on to us at 18, by 42, we've got osteoporosis. And yeah. Well, um, I'd love to have passed them on, but the problem is they won't leave me. <laughs> we <laughs> know. Patients, yeah, they don't they want to leave. So, But uh, when, when they eventually decide to leave and I'll pass them on to you, yeah, then you'll have to look after the osteoporosis. Have you c- uh, come across any data to show that there will be a reversal in the, the, um, the skeletal uh, complications of tenofovir, yeah. uh, if by switching or um, because you've probably you've instituted steps to to try and mitigate the impact. Right. But um, so this is oh, so interesting. I, I would love to hear what the other guys have to say on this because I think everybody's going to have their own opinions. So you know. We were always told, okay, that TAF is safe on the kidneys and safe on the bones. Okay. And the, the logic behind, you know, it's, the, the, the pro-drug is only cleaved as it enters the cell. So, so, so you know, it's, it sounds fantastic. But it depends which studies you read. I mean, and, and the interesting thing is, I don't know if you, I'm sure you, you read, there was in 2018, there was a meta-analysis, Andy Hill, where he said basically, unless they're on a booster like Ritonavir or Cobisistat, 
There's no difference in the renal, in the renal toxicity or the bone toxicity. You know what I'm saying? So, so. But that was the t- 15 milligram boost of a cabisistat. Yeah, the cabisistat. Yeah, yeah, but it yes. also looked at the yeah. tonov as well. Yes. Yeah. You know, so, so, and, and in that situation, yes, there was an advantage using mm-hmm. TAF. But if you didn't have a booster with it, which is most of our patients because we only have the 25 milligram, right? So they're not going to be on a PI with it. So, so there's no real advantage from that point of view. But there are major advantages to use this drug. But it's going to be a niche drug. I can't see it's not going to be. Certainly, the Department of Health is not going to say well, let's switch everybody to TAF. Mm-hmm. No, I can't see that happening. And I've spoken to people, and it's not. But it's going to be a niche drug. Selected patients, it's the ideal drug for them. So, for example, I mean, I don't want to teach the adults their business because I need to deal with children and adolescents and young adults. But the one advantage I think maybe would be a patient who has got a lowish EGFR. Because this you can start with EGFR of 30, whereas Tenofovo, they've got to be about 50. So in that situation, it's ideal. Instead of taking mm. them off and putting them onto a backup, which is much more expensive, mm. you know, you, you can put them onto, onto this, which is cheaper, and it's going to protect the kidney. So, so from that point of view, that's where I see it, that the niche is going to be. But not to say to every single patient, come off your TLD and go onto this drug to protect your kidneys and bones, because it doesn't seem like that's going to be beneficial for them. And likewise, the funders are going to say, show us the data before we give the money. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So that's how I see it. But I'm sure you got, what, what do you feel? I mean, you sort of a different uh, view? No. If, if, you know, if you break the wall, it's much easier for us to follow through. <laughs> so, um, and, and, uh, there's a, a much stronger argument with, uh, the da- uh, potential damage to a child being caused and which is Possibly not reversible, or mm. they will be impaired uh, versus an, an, an adult. Also, they've got many much yeah. years, many, of, many losing, more years. of losing calcium, kind of thing. Yeah, and then now with the normal life expectancy of a patient um, that goes into ART, um, it can become a serious long-term problem if we just count the number of hip replacements and knee replacements we will be facing in, right. in 20 years' time. Right. So, but I mean, uh, I think that's the thing is that's never been shown that TAF causes less knee replacements than hip replacements. You know, the, the end points are not, are not there. We don't know that, you know. But, um, that's from, from our side, I just see that it gives us a re-emphasis on monitoring the impact of the drugs that we are administering to our patients and, and keeping an eye out yeah. and trying to mitigate the impact, uh, impact and, yeah. and uh, physical exercise, weight-bearing exercise, yeah. uh, uh, the calcium intake, and uh, yeah. uh, things like steroid uh, use um, and a few others. Uh, that 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 um, smoke cessation is much mm. easier if you tell somebody that it's not just your heart attack, but your bones are going right, to collapse. Right, right. <laughs> that, yeah. um, and just yeah. out of interest, I mean, how often are you doing DEXA scans? I mean, obviously in the, in the older patients, but are you doing it in younger patients? We from about thirty. Okay, my my Eric's guide is yeah. from ten years on to off of it. Okay. So I'm starting to see quite a groundswell, um, and I'm, and unpleasantly surprised by the amount of patients that, uh, very quickly already show a significant, uh, um, osteopenia. Right. 
and it, but it gives you a bit of time, and and you only do it every two years. But it's right. it's a costly. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it costly it's, a, it's, a, it's an expensive yeah. investigation, um, and must be done uh, this, uh, with with uh, good reason. And you must act right. on the results. And uh, yeah. are you not doing on patients who are not on tenofovir? Because I think HIV yeah, itself can itself, also but cause it, it, the highest um, avascular uh, necrosis of female. Issues as well. Mm-hmm. It is uh, AVN just uh, do an X-ray of a hip, and it's mentioned somewhere in the report. Right. So HIV drives that as well. I've right. got patients with bilateral hip replacements before forty, and so it's now just I'm HIV. happy. I'm f- going to forward my patients onto you. You can deal with all the problems. <laughs> it's, so it's it's the same problems, but they're just dressed up slightly differently, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, but it's, you know, kids running around in contact sports and things like that is much, much nicer than a, a couch potato uh, who watches too much sport mm, <laughs> to uh, to get their bone mineralization up. But uh, I think we in, uh, uh, mm. this is a good step in the right direction. Yeah. I think um, with the concerns about the, the, the weight gain, it's going to just force us again to just do the right thing, and that is measure the blood pressure and the weight every Absolutely. time you see your patient. Hundred percent, and institute lifestyle changes and act on it quickly. Yeah, um, and that's why I'm actually quite happy with uh, with my HIV patients because they seem to be much more compliant than my the patients on the antihypertensives mm. or asthmatics or. Well, for good uh, um, uh, cardiac failure patients, uh, misery sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just stop medications that they don't feel like or feel like uh, carrying right. on with. Uh, um, so it, it, there's a bit more motivation to buy in from a patient, and especially if you keep offering them what is the latest technology, they are very aware. Um, of a new release, or right. uh, and yeah, absolutely, they ask and say, yeah. you know, what's happening to this, and they're reading about it as well, which yes, is good. Social media and and and, and all of the, the the new media formats, which um, our, our kids know about, uh, keeps them informed of what's going on, and uh, and but that's also the nice side of the consultation. Some, uh, although it's only once or twice a year. You keep them uh, excited about what's over the horizon. Mm-hmm. So whether it's injectables and long issues, uh, and then everybody wants to know how far are we from the cure. Right. So it, it keeps the conversation uh, lively, but it also gives us the opportunity to to start doing the the aging screening steps. Right. So um, at uh, in, in, in peds, I think. You're driving, just getting everybody vaccinated, and then through school first. Yeah, <laughs> and then the then the bad habits start kicking in. Um, after that, yeah, believe you me, I'm going through it with my teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, looking at uh, um, you said it's it's a, it's a small market. Thank God that the PMTCT. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we're trying to get you out of business. I oh, know. And you're doing a good job of it. You're doing a good job of it. But you know, but, but, the, but uh, South Africa still has the enormous volume of children. Yeah. 
Yeah, you see, it must be 20 years ago, I gave a talk with Glenda Gray. And Glenda spoke on PMTCT, and I spoke on pediatric antiretrovirals. And I got up and I said, I said, you know, well done to Glenda, you're doing such a great job. Okay, that's what's going to happen is that there'll be so few babies that nobody will have, there'll be very very few people needed to treat them. But those that will be there will be more complicated because they all have resistance because the mom has been on. But, uh, you know, so I'll think hopefully you still have a job. But the rest of you, I don't know if we'll, we'll need to. There'll be so few patients around there. There'll be just really complicated patients that, that you know, that a uh, few experts will have to look after. But there'll be hardly anybody left. But fortunately, it's it's not like that anymore. I mean, the, the drugs are great and kids are suppressing and they're living to normal life. And but you know how much GP sweats when they have to initiate treatment, and uh, it's uh, uh, a common child. That's it's why we, we all have you on speed. They're all fun, yeah. This is fun. Listen, I run, I run a helpline for my work, so that's my job. I'm very happy for you to well, find. Very grateful always for your advice, and especially with your giving us guidance on, on, on how to introduce and, uh, and, and when, um, now with yeah. TAF, but also then that. It's not the end of the road. We we need to keep on pushing for keep some push. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, the other thing, Eric, is, is, is you know, I was discussing the other days. Um, in the old days, the bad old days, it was all about saving the patients' lives, getting them suppressed. Right? That's not an issue anymore. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because of you know, I deal with resistant patients. I've got a couple that I have to advise on that kind of stuff. But the vast majority are suppressed. It's all the other issues that we have to deal with. You know, I have to deal with disclosures. You know, mm-hmm. disclosures to, to the child, disclosures to boyfriends and girlfriends, which for adults is so difficult. Can you imagine now to disclose to um, drugs and alcohol and all these other things? Which, thank God, it's fantastic that. And I, I say to my patients, they say to me, am I allowed to have something to drink on weekends? I'm talking about the older kids. Mm. Right? So I say, you know what? My aim is to let you live a normal life. That's mm. my aim. And if a normal life means having something to drink on the weekends, that's fine. That's what, we, that's what we're aiming for. Obviously not in excess. We don't want to, you know, besides the fact that drunk people forget to take their medications, but also there is some data to show that, that damage is, is, is more severe in HIV patients. But that's our aim. And so the sh- focus has shifted completely from keeping them suppressed to now simplifying, getting the best regimen, making their life as simple as possible, smallest tablets as possible, as few pa- t- tablets as possible. And then, of course, the injectables and whatever else is going to come. Just making life as pleasant for them as possible. But uh, the whole original aim which we had of struggling with patients dying to largely has disappeared. I'm not saying it's completely disappeared. Obviously, there are patients who present late. But for the vast majority of the patients, it's fantastic. They do really well. Well, it's always good to to, to hear the, the good news because um, we just don't see the patients again. Neither they've relocated or emigrated right. or um, – Sometimes financial reasons has has made them change. Uh, yeah, uh, switching it? on and off medical aid, which happens all the time. Unfortunately, it is uh, a reality, especially in the last financial year. If uh, people are too ashamed to actually acknowledge that uh, they no longer funded, right, and that they uh, that you need to open that conversation about the cost, right. And uh, I think this is going to make it easier as well. Again, you know, we, we're blessed that we have access to 
top drugs at That's unbelievable absolutely. prices. I mean, if you look at what it costs overseas, I mean, it's, this is nothing. You know, so. Just because um, accessing the system and then also then the, the cost. Mm. And then uh, they don't feel quite as comfortable. We, we have a uh, in our society, we have much more understanding and accepting of HIV because it is a heterosexual disease of all age groups, right. all genders. In in their environments, it is the IV drug users, and it's the it, it is the the clinics in the basement, and right. just accessing healthcare to them is a challenge. Uh, and uh, and then of of course, uh, you know, if somebody tries to to, to fund it privately, but it, so now thanks to uh, the pharmaceutical companies, we are able to offer uh, these long-term safer drugs at a very reasonable price. I remember the days where it was 4,000 rand, four months. And the days of the medical aids only lasting until September. <laughs> and also in the beginning, remember, they only pay for two drugs. <laughs> they, they only pay for two drugs. So I was thinking it was 800 rand a month, but you could only pay for two NRTIs. And I actually went up to them and I said, look, I'm a pediatrician, you know, for 800 rand, I can give him three drugs. Can I do that? And in fairness, I don't want to mention the name, but this guy, he was a lovely guy. He said, went back to the board, he came back to me, he said, you've got it. So I started with triple therapy way before anywhere else did because our kids were smaller and we could, we could get more, more drugs for the, for 800 rand. It's uh, good to still be reminded of where all the struggle that, that, um, the patients went to, the activists, social, uh, and ourselves. Groups and and uh, the doctors. And very much, we were very much activists as well. You know what I'm saying? There's no yeah. question. Yeah. We had many a fight with many a funder. Exactly. <laughs> and even with our government. Do you think that TAF is going to be a big uh, Department of Health uh, focus? It's a bit of a bugbear. Okay, so I've been mentioning it for the last two years, and I keep on, it's like hitting a wall. We do not want TAF. I don't know the, the main reason. I, I think there are issues. The one Possibly could be TB treatment, although I don't think it. Well, let's see what the other guys think. But from what I can gather, is is that the intracellular levels are adequate, with, without having to to adjust it with TAF. So that's probably not a major issue. But I think people, you know, originally thought that TB treatment was a was a problem with TAF. The weight gain could be the cost, possibly mm. the fact that it is more expensive than. I mean, the, what the government pays for for TLD is, is ridiculous. It is so cheap. You know, so, so w whatever it is, but I, I'm definitely pushing. I've got a whole lot of, on my list of patients from private and from, from DOH. And, you know, I've been just trying to mobilize people and just get people say, please, we need to ask for it because we've got to create that demand. If they see that we want this drug, then, and it's not for everybody, you know, and it, it probably will be available on a, a buyout. But the way a buyout works is that the facility pays. And once the facility has to pay, they're not going to pay extra. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's preferable if it's if the buyout is done at a higher level, so that the facilities can order it if necessary. I see, I see a lot of estate patients self-fund and buy their medications if if they told what combinations are right. available. So, because of they're aware of the Donatello issues, right? So that um, may be also. Yeah, I mean, for many years we used to do that with raw piverine because 
Rupivirin wasn't available. You had patients who had gynecomastia or whatever and couldn't, we didn't have, have dolutegum in those days. And to go into a PR regimen didn't make sense. And Rupivirin was really cheap. It was 70, 80 rand in those days. So a lot of patients. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of patients. I haven't checked recently, but a lot of patients, you know, used to just get a private script and go and get just that component. The problem here is that the whole combination is a bit more pricey. But um, there's the convenience of the Holy Grail we were looking for was a fixed dose combination. We always believe that simplified and 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 look what it's done. Now we get hypertensive triple combination. So right. we now get Everybody's statin, following the statin, the statins, yeah. and the antihypertensive combinations. So yes, we we, we, we must have done something. Like yeah. <laughs> we didn't see ourselves as trendsetters, but obviously we were. Always the downtrodden poor yeah. guys. I appreciate spending time with you and and uh, sharing your 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 optimism and your your care and your mensch um, when your patients are blessed and we are blessed we can actually access you and that you haven't abandoned us here in South Africa. Thanks so and much. No, <laughs> South Africa is my home. I'm happy to be here and and it's been it's been an amazing journey for me. You know, I'm saying literally seeing my patients grow up from babies to to adulthood doing so well and and also to be able to help others you know do the same thing with their patients well into the 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 first hiv positive borns having the the yeah yeah. i've got a few grand patients already yeah Yeah. my patients and having patients yeah and and we mustn't forget we're still ground zero although ukraine and everything else is taking attention this is the unresolved issue still for many decades to come Mm -hmm. So we will be busy. No, we'll we'll keep busy. As I say, what we'll do will change. And I foresee that Mm. the next few years is going to be like a honeymoon period where everybody's going to be on TLD or TAFED and everything's going to be suppressed. It's going to be wonderful. And then then we'll have to start working again. we start dealing with the dolutegum resistance. But it's okay. It's nice to have a honeymoon every now and again after many years of hard slog. Yeah. As always, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks.